This is Dr. Mubeen Sayed with one more episode of Long Story Short with Dr. Bean from the FLCCC platform. A really exciting study today. Dr. Paul Merrick shared it with me and I loved every line and every aspect of it. It is about microbiome, modulation of microbiome with high fiber diet and or fermented foods. So let's look at it. I think you would enjoy it a lot. I'll give you the summary of this. Fermented food addition to your diet would help diversify the microbiome that are present, which would in turn cause reduction in inflammatory cytokine, at least 19 of them, which in turn causes reduction in chronic inflammation, which is exciting. So let's look at it together. So first of all, this is FLCCC. And if you see here, or this is COVID-19 critical care, and there are various kinds of resources that are present over here, including these talks. So with this, the study that I want to talk about is this one today, Gut Microbiota Targeted Diets Modulate Human Immune Status, Immune Status Modulation with this microbiota. So let's look at that. In addition to that, there are some further links as well that clarify the roles of various interleukins that you would see have been changed in this one. So these references are present in here as well. So with this, we're going to do this talk with my drawing. So get ready. So 2022, August 5. So pretty recent study. Gut microbiota targeted diets modulate human immune system. I want to go over the summary first and then I'll go deeper. Today, we're going to talk about fermented diet because they did have a statistically significant changes due to fermented diet in the given period of their study. The high fiber diet didn't have sufficient time in the researcher's mind to create enough changes in the microbiota. So we'll look into that later on in the next talk. Today, I want to talk and focus on the fermented foods. So here is the summary. Diet modulates the gut microbiome. So microbiome are the bacteria and the pathogen. They can be pathogen if we, our immune system is weak or if we are weak, but they can be very, very useful as well. So they are kind of harmful and beneficial together. And it's a great balanced behavior with our immune system. If that is present, then we stay healthy and these pathogens actually help us. On the other hand, if for some reason our balance with them goes bad, then they can attack us too. So diet modulates the gut microbiome, which in turn can impact the immune system. So again, the focus is immune system today. Here we determined how two microbiota targeted dietary interventions, plant-based fibers or fermented foods, influence the human microbiome and immune system in healthy adults. So what did they do? Using a 17-week randomized prospective study, N equals 18 per arm. So it's a small study. It's a good directional study. And this study proves that there is a need to do larger studies and focus on microbiota. So combined with omics measurements of microbiome and host, including extensive immune profiling, we found diet-specific effects. The high-fiber diet increased microbiome-encoded glycan-degrading enzymes despite stable microbial community diversity. While cytokine response score, primary outcomes, so they were trying to see the cytokine. Cytokines are the chemicals that are released by the cells 
for communicating with each other and signaling, these cytokines can actually be even autocrine. That is, the chemical release from a cell can work on the same cell and they change the behavior of the receiving cell. So while cytokine response score was unchanged, three distinct immunological trajectories in high fiber consumers corresponded to baseline microbiota diversity. So this one part, high fiber diet, is not going to be discussed today. We'll discuss that next time. Alternatively, the high fermented food diet steadily increased microbiota diversity and decreased inflammatory markers. So I want you to have a couple of questions in your mind. Number one, how did it increase the diversity? And I'll answer that in the talk today. And number two, what is the benefit of increasing the diversity of microbiota? So keep these two in mind. The data highlight how coupling dietary interventions to deep and longitudinal immune and microbiome profiling can provide individualized and population-wide insights. Fermented foods may be valuable in countering the decreased microbiome diversity and increased inflammation pervasive in industrialized study. So I want to add one more comment over here, and that is that the researchers feel that in the industrialized nations, the cleanliness and the processing of the foods kind of reduce our exposure to various kind of microbiota or various kind of pathogens that can increase diversity of our gut microbiomes. And because of that, our options become limited. And not only that, here is a very important point. They are also suspecting that our microbiome, which may have the pathogens that are necessary for us or helpful for us, but those pathogens may be in inactive state because they're not getting enough diverse foods that can help them be active. So clean society, clean things, processed foods, clean foods, reduce our options with the microbiota and the microbiota that we have may not be fully active. That is the basic thought here. So what is microbiota in our gut? There sit a number of pathogens, some of them bad, some of them good, but these pathogens sit in there and they help us or they work with us. So this study, small study, 18 people in each arm. One arm had fermented foods, the other arm had high fiber diet or high plant-based diets. The study was recruiting from August 2016 to January 2017. It was annually approved by Stanford, so good study. The adults that were participating in it, their adults, their age was 51 plus minus 12 years. That was a mean age. Mean BMI was 25 plus minus 4 kilogram per meter square. 73% were women and 81% were Caucasian. So that is one of the limit of this study that it was more heavily inclusive of women and Caucasians. 89% were college degree holders. That is my cat. So the two types of diets that they used were high fiber diet and then fermented diets. So fermented diets like kimchi and kabuka and yogurt and high fiber diet are high fiber diets. What they did was in this study, they had four phases of the study. There was a three week baseline. In this time frame, they just looked at people's they took their stool samples, they took their blood samples to kind of baseline them to see what kind of cytokines, inflammatory mediators and markers they have in their blood, what kind of stool composition in terms of microbiota and microbiota released products, what are present in the stool. So that would create a baseline. Then they had a four-week ramp-up time 
in this phase, people were, first they decided that they're going to be high fiber diet, plant-based diet, or fermented diet. So once they did it, they would ask them to, within four weeks time, kind of move away from their daily diet regimen, whatever it was, towards a more plant-based or fermented food-inclusive diets. So that was a four-week ramp-up time. At the end of that time, the individuals were fully on the diet. Then there was a six-week maintenance diet. During this time, the participants stayed on that diet strictly. And then there was a choice time. You can call it ramp down time as well, where if they wanted, they could stay on it. But if they wanted, they could start mixing back the original food regimen. So generally, I want to comment that that is a shorter period of time to look at microbiota diversity or changes or immune system changes. And that is what the researchers also uh, noted, that it seems like they didn't have sufficient time to be able to observe long-term changes that would occur in microbiota due to the influence of the fermented food or plant-based foods. Now, the samples, they took stool samples every other week, starting from the week number two. And they took blood samples at seven time points, three weeks, start of intervention, four week, end of ramp up, week six, week eight, week 10, three time points during maximum intake and week 14 end of observation. So in summary, they took people's stool samples and blood samples to check them for stool samples for the composition of the kind of enzymes and carbohydrate digested products to see what microbiota is doing and the enzymes that are present in the stool that come from the microbiota and the blood samples to see what is the immune system status, what are the cytokines and chemokines and so on. So here's what they did. The folks who were having high plant diet, of course, their microbiota were exposed to high fiber diets. And those folks who were taking fermented foods, their microbiota or microbiome were exposed to fermented foods. And what they found was that, again, as I said, I'll stay on the fermented food today. The fermented food intake participants had an increased diversity of microbiota at the end of their maintenance phases or even choice phases. And I want to leave that thought with you to answer that a little later. That is, do you think that as they started eating kimchi or kabuka or yogurt, did that necessarily bring in new pathogens? And were these sufficiently diversified pathogens that the microbiota became diversified? So I'm going to leave that as a question with you. But what they observed was that the microbiota had a diversity in them. They didn't see this kind of a rapid change after the high plant diet or high fiber diet. And they think that it is a matter of time. So we'll talk a little more about that. So here is what they found in the fermented food individuals. So let's very quickly look at this diagram to understand what they found and what is the significance of that. Here, this is a cell, let's say dendritic cell or a macrophage. This cell represents the innate immune system. Innate arm of the immune system is the first defender of our body. Then the innate arm's job is to activate the acquired arm. Acquired arm is a more specific arm. It takes a few weeks to become activated. This arm, acquired arm, also has memory. And here is a cell that is called a helper cell, T helper cell. 
So the innate arm antigen presenting cells, APCs, which is macrophage and dendritic cell, they present the antigen, they present whatever they found foreign to a naive T cell. And then the naive T cell in the presence of interleukin-4, which is a chemical substance, they become T helper 2. In the presence of interleukin-12, they become T helper 1. Now, T helper 2 cells produce a lot of interleukin-10. The macrophage and dendritic cells produce a lot of uh, things, uh, cytokines, including interleukin-6 and interleukin-12b. This is the interleukin-12b that I'm talking about, which will diversify a T, naive T helper cell or differentiate it towards T helper 1. But we are more concerned about there is IL-6 from the innate arm, interleukin-12b from the innate arm, and interleukin-10. Although we used to think that interleukin-10 only comes from T helper 2, nowadays we find out that interleukin-10 can come from helper 2, helper 1, and even other immune cells as well. So just for our purpose, we'll just say it is T helper 2. Now they say that they identified out of 93 cytokines that they were measuring, they identified 19 of them, the cytokines and chemokines. That got changed, that got reduced, and these were inflammation-related. And most important between them, among them, interleukin-10, 6, and 12b. Interleukin-6 is pro-inflammatory. Interleukin-12b, pro-inflammatory. It actually takes us towards the cytotoxic T-cells, which I'll, I'll display in the next screen. Interleukin-10 actually ramps down the immune system. It's a modulatory system. But again, it has to be in balance. So they saw that these reduced... There were 19 of these chemicals that reduced, especially 6, 12, and 10, that reduced the inflammatory state. Imagine giving food to someone with a chronic inflammation, having their gut microbiome changed, which in turn reduces the cytokines, which in turn reduces the inflammation. What a beautiful mechanism. Then they saw also, this is also very, very interesting. What they saw was that the proteins inside the cell were reduced. So they said that cell signaling reduced. So not only the cell's messages to other cells, the interleukin that we saw in the last slide, not only these reduced. So that means imagine you are an inflammatory cell and I am an inflammatory cell and I'm sending you messages and you're sending me messages. But when we send the message to other one, let's say I send you IL-6, you have to have a receptor for interleukin-6 and you then have to respond to it. So number one, the interleukin-6 were reduced. So the pro-inflammatory mediators were reduced. Number two, those who were going to respond to them, their internal responding machinery was reduced as well. So the cells, even if they would receive the signal to say, you should be pro-inflammatory right now, you should do some inflammation, the responding cell would say, not that much inflammation, I'll just do a little bit. So double way of reducing inflammation or modulating inflammation. So here they say, the researchers, we also observed an overall decrease in endogenous signaling as determined by measuring activation levels of 15 proteins from four major cell types, CD4, CD8, B cells, and classical monocytes. So we're going to look at that a little more over here. So in this diagram, I've added a B cell, which is an active B cell. It is a plasma cell. It is making these antibodies over here. Yes, my picture is kind of overlapping, but imagine that these Y-like things are actually out here as well. Then this is a cytotoxic T cell. It is holding a perforin 
and a granzyme. It uses these to kind of kill the target cells. And the T helper 1 activates the cytotoxic T cell or CD8 cell. T helper 2 activates a B cell to convert that into a plasma cell. And over here I still have the macrophage, but imagine a macrophage is parented by a monocyte. A macrophage, when it is living in the blood system, it is called a monocyte. So they're saying that the monocyte, I'm representing that with the macrophage over here, and the CD4 cells, so these are all CD4 positive cells or T helper cells, the CD8 positive cell or cytotoxic T cell, and the plasma cell, which are active P cell, they all had internal protein production reduced. That means they were responding less to the external stimuli to do something. And what were the stimuli that they saw? 19 of them were reduced, the signaling molecules, including interleukin-6, interleukin-10, and interleukin-12b. Very interesting. So then, when they were looking at their stool samples, they found out that the microbiota for the fermented food-eating participants that had become diversified, as I said before. So the conjecture they have is the following. It's not that the fermented food has now brought in. Remember, I asked you to keep this in your mind as well, this question. It's not that the fermented food has just brought in a bunch of pathogens and now they are living in the microbiome and they are increasing the diversity. And it's not that the environment in which the people were living all of a sudden became bad because they were eating fermented food and somehow from outside the environment there is microbiome coming in. They postulated that because of our industrialized behavior and processed foods and clean environment, we had some microbiome in our gut that are just inactive. They're present but they're sleeping. They're present, but they're not active. They're present, but they do not have the right ingredients that they need to be active. They don't have the right ingredients for their enzymes to work on. So they're present, but they're silent. And they said by giving fermented food, it seems like that those inactive pathogens became active. And that is how diversity increased. So here they said fermented foods increased diversity Possibly because of the inactive microbiome becoming active, it's not about exposure. Chronic inflammation were reduced as well. So it's not about the exposure to the new pathogen. Instead, it was really some pathogen that were sitting in there that were inactive and they became active. And then in addition to that, when they became active, they helped reduce inflammation. So it is possible that our microbiome, imagine microbiome for a second to be an organ. I shouldn't call that an organ, but let's call that for a second. And a foreign organ, a foreign tissue collectively present in our gut, interacting with our immune system and kind of driving our immune system. And all of a sudden in that foreign tissue, there are some helpful pathogens that would drive the immune system towards a balance. And those pathogens, because of our food habits, have become inactive. And imagine doing something as simple as high fiber diet or plant fiber diet or fermented diet to activate them, to wake them up from their slumber. That is how beautiful the study is. And finally, the question in their mind was, why was the high-fiber diet or plant-based diets not creating as much diversity and not modulating the immune system as much as the fermented? And the researchers thought that this is nothing to do with the plant-based diet, but instead a time so it may be that this six weeks of maintenance and then four weeks of choice was not enough time for the fiber-based food 
to modulate the microbiota, it may take more time. Although microbiota was changing, but not as rapidly and as much as with the fermented food. So that means if somebody has chronic inflammation and they need a very quick response to reduce the chronic inflammation, they can add both of these foods, but fermented food would have a quicker response compared to plant-based diet. So finally, they say, our clean lifestyle also reduces microbiome diversity. Our industrial food lifestyle limits microbiome. An example is the loss of strain and their associated glycan degrading capacity observed in U.S. immigrants. So when the immigrants come from other countries, they actually have a diverse microbiota. And as soon as they come into the U.S. and they start eating the foods that we all eat over here in the U.S., slowly their glycan, you know, degrading enzymes and the microbiota diversity, they start reducing. So then the researchers say these two diets, either by themselves or in combination, are exciting new possibility. So this is the discussion. Pretty exciting. I would recommend that you look at the links and read that study as well. Next time I'll talk about the immune modulation by plant-based diet through microbiota. Thank you very much and talk to you again.